You're listening to a podcast of New Covenant Church. Join us Sundays at 10.30 a.m. in Pompano. Uh, thank you, worship team. Thank you, Nikki. Thank you all just for participating today. Good morning again. It is, uh, it is a joy to be together. I'm looking forward to our movie night this Friday night. Uh, are you just sick of the term social distancing? I'm so tired, <laughs> but we, we are going to do it, and we, we, we do agree, thanks, man, that it is important, um, and so we, are, we, we will be out on the lawn. We're going to have great refreshments and popcorn and hot chocolate and make it just a great event for the family, um, for anybody who wants to come out, but uh, this will be just a, a, a fun time for us to be together. Um, it's supposed to get a little chillier this week, I've heard, so it might be... Yeah, bring chairs and blankets for that movie night so you can spread out, get comfortable, and uh, it'll, be, it'll be an awesome time. Um, I do want to say two more things before we jump into uh, God's Word today. One, uh, our brother Q was back today. You saw him on stage singing, and Q is uh, one, of, uh, one of the sons of this house, and he, uh, he has gone off to join, join the Coast Guard and you might remember us praying for him a ways back or mentioning that, but Q is uh, uh, down on leave, and so we're just really proud of you, bro. Great job and all that you're doing. Thank you for serving uh, in the Coast Guard and looking forward to just what God's going to do in your life. Um, and finally, on the Christmas giving, I, I know sometimes during announcements, we just kind of tune out, right? Like you've been like focused, engaged, and singing, and then we start doing announcements, and we're like, checking Facebook and doing other things at times. So I, I want to just bring this up again to you. We just finished our Thanksgiving drive, uh, which was awesome. Um, and we, we gave out, well, we'll give some statistics for you. I, don't, I can't remember how many we gave out, how much we had spent, but it, it was great. And this is just another opportunity during Christmas time for us to, to give. Um, we want to give in many different ways, but this is one focused avenue where you can participate. And so I know how it goes in our minds, because this is what happens to me. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll give. We'll, we'll, we'll get it. We'll get it in. We'll get it in. We'll get it in. And then it's January 1st. And we're like, shoot, man, I forgot to give my, I forgot to give my Christmas uh, uh, gift in. And so we, I'm telling you, there's a lot of people in need, not, I mean, even in this room maybe right now, but also out there. And people come in a lot, even last week. We had a couple come in um, from the street. They were homeless, recently homeless, and they just were looking for some help, and we were able to provide a gas card and, and do some of that. And we have processes for all of those things, but I would just say we also have some specific families targeted in mind that we want to give to. So please, give, get, get those gift cards. They could be any amount. We'll figure out how much to give each person. Just bring them in, put them in the Dropbox. You can drop them at the office. Give them, give them to whoever. We'll make sure it gets to the right place, okay? Awesome. All right. Well, we are in Luke chapter 1, the Gospel of Luke. All right. If you need a Bible, there are Bibles in the chairs in front of you. Also, the scripture will be on the screen. We are starting a new series today for the Christmas season, and we are going to spend our time up until New Year uh, in Luke 1 in this small little section. Um, If you're trying to find Luke, it's part of the you know, second half of the overall Bible, the New Testament, we have Matthew, Mark, then Luke. So if you hit John or anything further than that, you, you've gone too far. So we are in Luke 1, and we're going to be in verses 
39 through 45. Why don't we stand together as we read God's word? Luke 1, 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting and Mary of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. This is God's word. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for your word. Thank you already for the time of singing, of worship, of, of connecting with one another and with you. And we just ask, God, that you would, you would meet us, continue to meet us today, that you would speak to us from your word. God, I know during the Christmas season, we can just feel like we just, we know the story. We know what we're doing. It's Christmas, it's Jesus' birth, it's all of these these familiar topics, but God, I pray it would be fresh in us. This amazing story that brings hope, that brings life. We need you, God. Pray now that you would speak through me. Let my words be your words, and God, that you would bring change in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. One of the happiest days of my life, I remember it very clearly, was the day that I found out we were pregnant with our first child, with our daughter, Eden. We didn't know it was going to be a daughter at that point, but um, I remember it so clearly because we, and I've shared this with um, you before, but we, we, we were married for uh, about five years, and we had been pretty much wanting children all five years and were unable to have children. And um, it was uh, just a, such a unique season for us, a unique part of our life. We got married really young. Um, I was 22, Nikki was 20, which seems just insane um, that we were that young and anybody let us get married, but we, we did, and as young people, wide-eyed and just thinking everything goes the way you want it to go, we thought, yeah, we'll maybe wait a few months and then we'll, we'll get pregnant. We just thought that you just decide, and it happens, and we came to find out that that is not how it always happens and that we we're about to go on a five-year journey of not getting what we want, not having children, not experiencing the joy of parenthood in those months, and it was month after month after month. And so I just, I remember the morning that it was like really early in the morning. It was dark out, it was dark in the room, and I remember Nikki waking me up and saying, hey, babe, um, I haven't really said anything um, before, but actually I, I just took a pregnancy test. 
and I just, I remember like, you know, I'm in a fog going like, what is this a dream? Like, what are we doing? What's happening? And she said, yeah, I just took a pregnancy test and it was positive. And we just could not believe it. So much so that we went out shopping, bought three more pregnancy tests at you know, like 6 a.m. in the morning, came home, took all three, all three were positive, and we're like, I, I think, we think this is it. <laughs> like, we, we didn't know, it's just like, this is it. And we, I mean, it was just unbelievable. And then we went around and drove to every person's house that we loved and knew, <laughs> telling them. <laughs> we didn't call people, we're like, hey, we're coming over. <laughs> and because there were so many people that were praying for us and with us and a part of our life at that time that wanted to know and we wanted to tell them and we all were extremely happy and, and, and rejoicing and all of the, all the good things. During that time, we learned so much about waiting and about hope. In fact, we named our daughter Eden Hope her middle name is Hope because of the hope that, was, that, that we just believed God was going to do something in our life with her, and, that, and the name Eden is a, a symbol of garden and life and fruitfulness, waiting and hope. I think we all are, are learning a lot about waiting right now. A lot about waiting, a lot about hope. Lots of waiting, right? We, we're, we're all in this together, like, waiting period of what's going to happen with, I mean, everything, right? It seems like everything is a, is a waiting game, whether it's the virus or whether it's elections or whether it's the next year that's coming up. And so we've been doing a lot of waiting and maybe, maybe not so much hope, <laughs> maybe some, some hope. We're all kind of hoping 2021 is going to tell a different story, that it's going to be different, better. And so I, I just thought, man, this is the Christmas season. I want to start a, just a short series, five messages, you know, takes us through the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, and then Christmas Eve, we'll finish it off. But we, we, it, this is what it's about. This is what we're going to be talking about, waiting and hope, waiting and hope. And so we're calling it waiting for hope. We're, we're not just, we want hope. Sometimes we just, we need to wait for the hope to like build up in us. And the Christmas season is a great time for us to think about these things because it is a time of anticipation, of waiting, of hope. That's what, I mean, from being a little kid and thinking about Christmas time, that's what Christmas is about, right? Like it's a lot of waiting. You're, you're waiting for it to come. You're waiting for it to come. Is it almost here? We got gifts maybe that are coming. We want, we have family that we're going to see. Maybe there's time off, like there's just, there's a lot of good and I'm, I'm hoping I'm going to get this. I'm hoping I'm going to see these people or I'm hoping I'm not going to see these people. <laughs> but deeper than that is this Advent season. That's why we are taking time to actually use the word Advent. It's not something we, we talk about a lot and, and I know as as a contemporary church, you know, we're, we're not very traditional and we don't usually do traditional things, but there's a good time for us to take these moments and add in some elements that just are different because Christ is different. The, the season of Christmas is meant to be different. 
We are meant to be different, and it's good for us to do sometimes some things that are just different. We're celebrating the arrival of the most miraculous event in human history. The Lord of the universe coming to us to save us, to rescue us. And so it's not just about on Christmas Day that we think about that, but it is, it's a season of, of anticipation. Because powerful things happen when we anticipate, when we, when we get excited about something. Hope is built. Hope. See, hope is it's powerful. And in the Bible, Hope is a, an, an expectation, an, an excited expectation that something is going to happen. That it's going to happen. Not like, oh, we hope, man, I hope, this, I hope today the dolphins do all right. I don't know. They took two out last week, and we're really wondering why all that happened. And it's for my dolphin fans here, uh, right, there's, I'm tired of hoping for that stuff. Like, that's, uh, yeah, whatever, maybe. But see, the, the biblical hope, biblical expectation is... Solid, it is strong, it's sure, it is bigger than the, the, the small little hopes that we wrestle with every single day. There is a strong connection between hope and waiting. I mean, waiting is part of hope. It's, the very, it's part of the very definition of hope, right? Because hope is something that hasn't happened yet. And so there has to be a waiting element. And if you're like me, you hate waiting, I hate waiting. I have shared that many times, and I'm sure I will share it again and again with you. I don't like to wait. And I live in a world that doesn't make me wait very often. And so when you make me wait, you're just coming against everything that's in me, and it makes me go crazy. But that's why this is good for us, man. It is good for us. See, we're introduced to these two characters here, right? Mary and Elizabeth. Elizabeth and Mary. Elizabeth is, is the mother of John the Baptist. You, if you know who that is from the Bible, you, you, you recognize that name. Even if you've never read the Bible, you might have heard that name before. John the Baptist, really important figure in, in history. And then Mary is the mother of Jesus. And they were both, in their unique situations, waiting and hoping Jesus was the hope of the world, and, and these two mothers are caught right in the middle of that, and they are caught up in this, in their own stories, and then together in this waiting season and this hopeful season that the Savior is coming. And so the next four weeks, we're going to talk about these things, about waiting and hoping, waiting and hoping, and thinking through their connection, because they are so tightly connected, because well, they're so tightly connected, and, and we're going to talk about them because we're just constantly in, forced to deal with it. We're forced to deal with waiting and hope. See, we hate when our, our waiting is for nothing, right? I, if I'm going to wait, I want to know that it means something. I want to know that it's going to pay off in the end. 
we want to know that our waiting means something. It's like when you, you ever like wait in a line at, for a ride, like at Disney World. You go, you wait, you're in line for maybe an hour, two hours, whatever. You get up towards the front of the line, and then all of a sudden, like something happens, and it just shuts down. They're like, oh, sorry, we can't take any more. <laughs> I mean, what, what do we feel in those moments? Like, I have waited for nothing. We need to think about how we process waiting, how we process hope. Because here's the thing, hoping in the right thing is going to bring meaning and purpose to our waiting. What we finally give ourselves to hope in is going to bring meaning and it's going to bring purpose to the waiting that takes place leading up to that. Maybe another way of saying it is waiting is most meaningful when hope is, is well-directed, when our hope is directed in the right place Man, that's when waiting becomes most meaningful. When you're waiting for that child to be born, there's anticipation, there's hope, there's expectation. Man, it makes the waiting that much more special when it happens. You see, if all we're hoping in is a virus-free, riot-free, trouble-free existence, a trouble-free world. If we're putting all our hope in these other things to make life the way we want it to, it will not, it will not give us what we think it will. We're in trouble. Because it can't deliver. It can't deliver on what it promises. All the things that we want and we like get so excited for. That, that's like Christmas 101, right? Oh, I want this toy. I want this toy. I want this toy. And then we get this toy and we're like, oh, this is so awesome. And then six minutes later, it's like, well, that was nice. And then we're on to something else. That's all of us. It's not just the little kids. We want, we hope, and then we get it. We're like, oh, okay. Or we get it and we love it, we love it, and we realize soon after, man, this really didn't do what I thought it was going to do for me. It promised to bring me such happiness. It promised to bring me all this, this goodness. And then in the end, it just is another thing that disappoints. And then our waiting is wasted. And we don't want our waiting to be wasted. We want it to mean something. We want hope to be alive in us. And the way that happens is by hoping in the right thing. And that's, that's the Christmas story. It's Jesus is the right thing. Jesus is the hope. He is the savior of the world, the hope of the world, the light of the world. All of these of the worlds, that's Jesus. So it's not just of the world in big pictures, but of you and of me. He is our hope. That's why we're here. That's why we do these things, man. Like, we're not just creating a cool club for us all to be part of. And we are cool. But that's not it. If I stand up here, if we stand up here, we sing songs, we, we, we do these activities. If I give you a good speech that does not lead you back to the one who is the hope of your soul and the hope of your life, then this is for nothing. And I have wasted your time and your waiting. But if I can give you peace, 
this story of who God is and the bigness and points you to Jesus, then I'll give you something, and it's not me, it's, it's him, something that you can live your life and build your life around. And it gives purpose to all the things that you're going through and meaning to all the things that you're going through. You see, we, we see this story here between Mary and Elizabeth, and it's, it's, it's a family reunion. See, they're cousins. Mary and Elizabeth are cousins, and we really see more of their story outlined in the beginning of, of Luke 1. We're picking up in, you know, mid-story here. But here's what's happening, right? So Mary comes into the house of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah and Elizabeth are the parents of John the Baptist. And so they get pregnant first. But here's part of their story that we didn't read. And if you go back in Luke 1, you can read about it. But they were childless. The Bible says they were barren. Barren, this image of, of desolate ground. Nothing can grow from it. And they wanted kids, and they were getting older. And in, the, in those days, when you didn't have kids, when you couldn't have kids, it was a big deal. It wasn't just like, ah, oh, man, I'm disappointed, and I'll go foster or adopt. Like, yeah, you might be able to do those things, but it was not the same. Your ability to have children was an was a indicator of how your life was going to play out in the, in the long run because children were like your retirement plan. They were a piece of how you were going to survive in old age. They were also a symbol of Status in life, fruitfulness, blessing. One of the hardest things when we couldn't have kids is like the Bible would tell us children are a blessing and we're like, what, are we not worthy of the blessing? That's the feeling you get. And so even more so in this story, and so they then are visited by an angel. An angel comes to Zechariah, the dad, and says, hey, I know this has been a long time, but you're going to have a son. It's going to be great. <laughs> okay, but he's going to have a very unique call on his life. His, his role is going to be to, to help the world get ready for the Messiah who is coming. And actually, the Messiah is going to be born months after your son. And, and months later, Mary, who is, has the complete opposite problem, she's not wanting kids right now. She's not even married yet. Angel comes to her and says, you're going to have a son. It's going to be Jesus. He's going to be the Savior of the world. Like, big news all around. And both of these families have to deal with what's happening. And so the angel tells Mary, you're going to have a son, and look, your cousin Elizabeth also is going to have a son. We, God did a miracle in her life. He tells Mary this, that God did a miracle in Elizabeth's life. She was barren, she's old, but guess what? She's having a kid, and I want you to go visit her. So Mary goes and travels to visit her cousin Elizabeth, and Elizabeth and Mary are not neighbors. They're not down the street, and there was no easy way from, to get from one place to the next. And so Mary travels about 100 miles I don't like going 15 minutes down the road to visit people in traffic and dealing with all this stuff. Mary goes 100 miles. I don't think she was alone. Probably not. Probably had a, some sort of caravan. But look, 
No, no luxury passage here. She, she's going 100 miles. It, it, and if you do this, the research, there was an elevation change. And so I know this is like, sounds, when I was a kid, I went uphill both ways. But Mary went uphill, uh, changed elevation a lot, dirt roads, bandits all around. Like there was danger, all this craziness to go meet her cousin. And for the two to greet each other and for those two babies to have this like pre life, pre-existence, outside the womb encounter. And Mary walks in, Elizabeth greets her, she greets Elizabeth, and immediately the baby in Elizabeth's belly jumps for joy. And this encounter changes Mary. See, we're going to, for the next several weeks, we're actually going to look because Mary went through a lot to, to experience what's happening with this baby and, and all of it. I mean, it's a lot, right? You can imagine she was a young girl, pregnant, not married. And the time with Elizabeth changes her life. I mean, it, it encourages her. Elizabeth starts to speak blessing over her and, and encouraging her, and it changes Mary. And the way that we know it changes Mary is from how she responds when the angel talks to her and how she responds after her encounter with Elizabeth. Because right neck in the, in the next verses, which we're going to look at over the next few weeks, from verse 46 down, Mary sings a song. She writes a song. Praising God, thanking God, communicating how blessed she is to be part of this big plan. And so we're going to look at that over the next couple of weeks, but I just wanted to take a minute today to set the stage, to talk a little bit about Elizabeth and Zechariah, because they're not talked about a lot in the Christmas story. Right? We focus a lot on Mary Joseph. We, we talk about Jesus, rightfully so. But Elizabeth and Zechariah are powerful figures in this story. Luke talks about them first. Their experience teaches us a lot about our own life and the way that we should process waiting and hope. See, they're barren. They can't have kids. They want kids. They're getting older. And, and sometimes when, when we're barren, when there's not the life that we want, the fruit that we want, we think that maybe we're doing something wrong. Maybe I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm not doing enough. I've done something wrong and, and I'm being punished. Or That's the way our thoughts go. But honestly, when we look at Zechariah and Elizabeth in the early part of Luke 1, we, Luke goes out of his way to say these were godly people. These were people who walked blamelessly before the commandments of the Lord. It's Luke's way of saying, these were the real deal. These were good people that were doing things the way they were supposed to be. They weren't perfect, but they, they, were, they, were, they were godly. And yet God chose to take, the, take them on this path that, that they didn't want to take. And they were barren. See, Barrenness teaches us a lot about life. It does. God uses barrenness to teach us so many things. It's, it's this, the, the inability to have children shows us how sometimes helpless we are before God and that we have to trust him. 
God uses barrenness to teach us about hope. It's a forced waiting. It forces us to wait, and it teaches us to hope in the right things. It's a forced way for God's people to trust him. And when God is going to work something significant in his people's life, often barrenness is a piece of that. If you know any of the stories from the Old Testament, from the, from the beginning foundations of our faith, for Abraham, Abraham and Sarah were barren. I, their children, Isaac and Rebecca, barren. Jacob and Rachel, their children, barren. They all dealt with this barren issue, and they were to be the, the father and the mother of, of Israel, of the nation. And they all were barren. Are you feeling barren? Are you experiencing barrenness in your life, in, in, in your relational life, in your marriage, in your family, in your work, in your health, in your spirit, your spiritual life? Is there barrenness? God wants us to learn some things in our barrenness because we all experience it. We all experience waiting and the challenge of waiting with hope in us. And so I, I thought it might be helpful for us, uh, and, and this is gonna happen each week during this series where we're gonna hear from some people who have experienced some measure of barrenness or a, a need to uh, wait in unusual circumstances where hope was being challenged. And each week you're going to hear from someone else. And I thought today, since I shared a little bit of my, our story, it would be helpful for you to hear from the one who had to deal with it probably on a much more personal level, um, which is my wife, Nicole, Nikki. So Nikki is going to share a little bit, just her testimony, our testimony, her testimony <laughs> about things that she learned, we learned during our time of infertility and barrenness, and yeah, do it. Thank you. I'm very excited for the opportunity to share. You know, the Bible compels us to tell about the awesome things that God has done in our lives, so this is a special opportunity for me to do just that. So as Adam said, we were young when we got married. Um, we're, we're not great planners. We don't really plan ahead for anything. So honestly, the way it happened was we were married a few months and we just kind of looked at each other and we're like, wouldn't it be fun to have a baby? Wouldn't that be fun? And so we were like, Why, what's stopping us? Let's just do this. And so um, realized pretty quickly as the months went on and nothing was happening that there would be a little bit of an issue. And so those feelings of mild disappointment over the course of months started morphing into uh, some some deeper feelings of helplessness and fear and deep discouragement. Um, about a year and a half into this, our best friends at the time got married, and guess what happened? They got pregnant on their honeymoon, you guys. And that's how infertility is. It's it's sharp like that. It's like a jagged, edged thing that just cuts you right when you least expect it. And 
For me, those cutting moments would happen, you know, in daily life, walking through the store and, and walking past the baby aisle or checking the mail and another baby shower invitation comes. Or people well-meaning would, you know, come and, and make comments to us. Oh, you guys are such a cute young couple. When are you going to start a family? And again, very well-meaning, but those things would, would hurt. They were painful. And the thing about the pain of infertility is that it's not like breaking a bone where it's this one-time event that happens and then you can, like, heal from it. It's almost more like having your, bro your bone broken every month over and over and over again. It's like reopening that wound. You can't escape from it, you guys. You cannot escape from it. I, each month was almost like I, I, I envisioned it as like a neon sign flashing messages to my heart. And it would flash of my inability and my helplessness, my powerlessness, my failure. It was like in my face all the time. And it was not fun. Those months turned into years and hope just faded in my heart. Around the two-year mark, we decided to get some basic fertility testing done and you know, I think sometimes when we're learning how to hear from the Lord, it's kind of like a, it's almost like a dance. It's like a give and a take. So we were asking questions like, what does it look like to, to trust God for a miracle here? But then what does it look like for us to push through and to do things to try to make this happen for ourselves? I don't think there's like a right or wrong answer there. It's, it's more like a rhythm, like learning how to work with the Lord, to know when to have faith and trust him and when to take action and move. And when we're in waiting periods in our life, we don't want to just sit back and, and be passive and do nothing. We want to be active. We want to learn things like Adam is talking about. We want our waiting to mean something, to be purposeful. And so at that two-year mark, we went and got the fertility testing done. Pretty much everything was okay. The doctor said, you're young, you should be able to get pregnant, give it time. Of course, he also suggested for us to do some fertility drugs because it would increase our chances. But we decided at that time to not move forward, to not do the drugs, to just keep waiting on the Lord and see what it, what it is that the Lord had for us. I went through some periods of time during this where I experienced intense doubt. I mean, unbelief like thoughts would come to my head during worship service, you know, like the lyrics would be on the screen and it would just, it was like arrows attacking me. Those words aren't true. What do you think this is? This is all a big joke. These people have no idea what they're talking about. There's not a God up there listening. Why are you singing? Put your hands down. Or when I would try to read the Bible or, I mean, you guys, it was all the time attack. And so, you know, on the one hand, I'm dealing with the pain of infertility and all of that. And then on the other hand, I'm like having to fight these thoughts. It is exhausting. Life is exhausting. You guys know what I'm talking about, because I know this is not just my experience. Life can be so tiring. 
And when I was tired, hope was gone. It was long gone. I didn't even want to want a child anymore. I didn't want to want to have hope. I just wanted it all to go away. So it's crazy because, you know, we, so there's that part of it where I feel like dead inside, basically. But then the other side of it was like, Adam and I, we were young. We had a great marriage. We had so much fun. Life was, there was like another side to life. Does that ever happen to you? So like the other side to life was we were digging into serving at our local church. I see some of our young people here today. Man, we were with these teenagers, um, you know, having them over to our house and, and giving people rides back and forth to church and just serving in church. And it was so fun. Um, I was able to give, give my time to studying God's word. You know, I didn't have kids. So, and I worked part time. It was just, I had time to be in scripture and to read. And the Lord was doing something in me. As difficult of a season as it was, it was the single most formative season for me spiritually in my life. And isn't that how God works? He uses trial. He uses hardship. Um, so I decided somewhere along the way, I'm not sure exactly when, but I was so over this whole trial in my life, and I was so over the idea of hope that I thought, well, maybe my idea of hope is not Right. So I started going through the Bible and looking up every single passage that talks about hope that I could find. And this took a long time, months probably, but I looked up all these passages about hope. Um, so, you know, there would be passages like Psalm 42.5 that says, Why so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. And I realized that I was doing something subconscious. I was reading those passages like this. Why so downcast, O oh my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God for a baby. And there was always that addendum, that attachment. Yeah, 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 hope in God. Hope that he'll answer your prayer. Hope that he'll give you what you want. And as I read scripture after scripture, I realized that there's, there's not that attachment in Bible passages when it talks about hope. When you hope in the Bible, you hope in God. Period. You hope in God for God. You hope in God for his glory. That all of this is real. That one day he's going to come back. That one day we're going to see him face to face. That we are going to experience with our senses the God of the universe. That we will be in heaven, in glory, forever. And none of this bad stuff can touch us anymore. That's what we hope in. And so I started to pray, God, my hope's been in the wrong thing. Will you change my heart? Will you help me to know this, bib, this Bible type of hope and, and to live it and to experience it? Um, 
So around the four and a half year mark of not being able to conceive, we decided to do an exploratory surgery that the fertility doctor suggested and um, spare you the details, but basically I had something called endometriosis and the doctor was able to just quickly right there that day, you know, fix it up a little bit. And the doctor said, this could help. We don't know if it will, but it, it could help. And um, six months later is that day that Adam told you about a few minutes ago where we found out, you know, that pregnancy test came back with the plus line on it. And we were just blown away and couldn't believe that this was really happening. But um, in the middle of waiting, you don't really see the benefit of it. You can't see it. It feels like it's wasted, like he was talking about, where you're waiting for the ride and then the ride closes right before you get on. It feels like that when you're in the middle of it. But when you get on the other side of it, some of you know what this is like. You look in the rearview mirror and you see all that God was doing along the way. And I'm not just talking about God at work in the circumstances. I'm talking about God at work in us. The whole time during the waiting, he's molding, he's shaping, he's cementing these truths about what his word says into our lives in a way that could not be done otherwise. It's in his way and it's in his timing. So I'm excited for, the, for this series to continue, for Adam to give us some practical things about what do we do in the waiting process. Um, but thank you. Thank you for letting me share my, my talk. And ever since we had kids, all our problems disappeared. Right? It's been bliss ever since. Careful what you wish for. Now they're they're great. Look, <clears throat> I, we are like unashamedly repetitive here. I mean, I've probably asked this in every way, shape, or form, almost every week. It's the same question: What's your hope in? What are you putting your hope in? What? It, I mean, these are good things. We wanted children. You want a good marriage. You want a vaccine for this virus to go away, or you want it to just go. You want a good leader. You want to have a good church. You want to have family. You want to have a good job. Like, none of that is bad. It only becomes bad when it is the most important thing in your life. Because no matter how wonderful the gift is, it will always disappoint in the end. If it becomes everything. I love my children. We are so thankful, joy of my life. They cannot be God in my life or in her life. All of it fails at some point. If you're hoping in your marriage to heal and be better, I want that for you too. If you're looking for it to meet every need in your life and be God of your life, it will not happen. And if you're, and if you're ripping apart, it's probably because you are putting it at a place that is unhealthy and inappropriate. 
God has to take center stage in every area of life, whether it is children, marriage, job, family, country, church. I will fail you. I don't want to fail you, but I will disappoint in some way, shape, or form. If you want to be part of this church, you are coming in as, as with eyes wide open saying, this is an imperfect place with an imperfect pastor, with imperfect people who are just desperately trying to keep Christ at the center. And if we do wrong to one another, we're going to be quick to, to say sorry, repent, and, and not do it again. And we're going, to, we're going to fight to keep Christ at the center of everything that we do. But it is going to take time and patience and waiting and hope. And put, insert that into wherever else in your life that it is needed. God is it. He is the hope of the world. He is the light of the world. If anything is trying to take that place, it is going to leave us fighting and and ripping apart. And just like Nikki said, hope in God for a baby. Take away that extra stuff. So what are you hoping in God for? What, where is your barrenness? And answer the question, is God enough? And man, we, <laughs> we had to answer that so many times in those moments of saying, people would say, well, is God enough? And in our, intellectually, yeah, in our heart and sometimes with our words, it was like, no. And those are the honest moments we have to have with God and saying, God, right now, I don't feel like you're enough, but I need you to be enough and I need you to help. What are you waiting for? What, what is it that you're waiting for? For God to do, for God to move. Go after him. I'm going to ask the team to come up, the worship team to come up. So I'm going to just give you some practical things as you wait, and then we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. <clears throat> And this is, this is an awesome end to our service that we get to take communion and actually put into practice the very food, the very meal that is given to us to help us remember Jesus, to help us remember the hope. And it's meant to help build hope in us. And it's also a symbol of waiting that Christ went through the, the, the shattering of his body and the spilling of his blood for us so that we could have life and we partake of that to, to build faith in us. So here's things, as you wait, as you wait, because we're all waiting for something. So as you wait, I want to help you. Barrenness is going to make you want to withdraw. It's going to make you want to pull back. It is going to want to suck all the hope out of your life. And so we can't just sit back and say, well, take it. I don't want to be hopeful anymore and I don't care about waiting. No, we're going to fight. Okay? Because God's worth it and your life is valuable because of who God is. Waiting is going to make you want to stop. And I would say this, don't stop. So three things. Serve, speak, surrender. Okay, Really quickly, serve, speak, surrender. What, what, do I, what am I saying here? Look, when Zechariah got the news that, that they were going to have a kid, it says, if, and if you, you can go back into Luke 1.8, it says, while he was serving, and he goes into the temple, and then this whole thing happens. God meets him while he was serving. They weren't just sitting back around waiting like, well, I'm old, I'm done, that's it. 
No, they dug in. Just as Nikki said, well, we were waiting, man. We were, we were serving. We built, we, we, we poured everything we had into the building up of, of our local church and just helping and serving and being active. We, we were in youth ministry for part of that time. And those, those became our kids. We were teachers in a school. Those became our kids. We didn't have biological kids at the time. They became our kids. We serve. We, we dig in. Look, Mary goes to see Elizabeth. 100 miles, uphill, dirt, death on the line. She goes and they, they serve each other while they're talking. They, they, they give to one another. They encourage so while we wait, we stay active, we give, we serve. And no, look, that only happens like in, in this community. Community life is everything. It is not meant for us to isolate and pull back. You cannot serve if you're not engaged with other people. And I know people are hard and sometimes terrible, right? We're all going to fail each other and we're difficult and it's just easier to, to be in quarantine. <laughs> That's not the answer. Serve. We we give to one another. Even though we want to isolate, hope is built in community. Waiting is strengthened in community. <clears throat> and what goes right along with that is speak. Speak words to one another. Intelligent words. If, right? If people don't have kids yet, don't say, "What are you waiting for?" Right? You you may not. They may be in a real difficult situation speak. Mary comes to Elizabeth. Elizabeth just unloads on Mary kind words, building up. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are doing. That's it. Look, use all the communication tools you have to encourage and to build up. Maybe just for a week. Stop correcting. Stop trying to get everybody to do what you want to do and just Build up, encourage. It's going to make your waiting more meaningful and it's going to make their waiting more meaningful. Speak, speak life, speak hope, speak encouragement. And then finally, surrender. This is it, man. We surrender our lives to the Lord. We surrender our plans to God. Look, he is able to do more with your barrenness than you can do with everything at your disposal. He's able to do more with your barrenness, your waiting, your hope than you can imagine. Give it to him. Surrender your life to him. Be part of what he is doing in the local church, in the world, in your, all your spheres of influence. God tells Mary when, when, he, when, he, when he tells her about Elizabeth's pregnancy, he's like, hey, she was barren. Now she's actually... God did a miracle. She's got a kid. And he says this, for nothing will be impossible with God. Just grab onto that truth. Nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. Maybe what you want isn't what God wants. Maybe you're hoping in the wrong thing. Surrender your life to God and get on his plan and for what he wants for your life. Surrender is not the same as giving up. I'm going to close with this. Giving up is a lack of faith. Giving up is like, ah, you can't do it, God. You're not there. You're not good. You're unable. Surrender is, no, you're good. 
You're able. Your purposes for me are right. I'm giving it to you. Lead. Take it. Need you. Surrender your life. We have a chance now to to go to the Lord's table and partake, to take in the bread and the, and, the, and the juice, the bread and the wine. God is active in this activity. And he tells us, look, you're only to do this if you have faith in me. This isn't just a snack. This is a, a feeding on the actual we're not feeding on the actual body and blood of Christ, but it is a symbolic spiritual activity where we take of this. And I would just say this, if you are, you do not know Christ, you have not followed him in faith, you don't trust him for the salvation of your souls, this has nothing to do with you being perfect. This has nothing to do with you being good enough to take this. None of us are good enough to take this but we take this in faith. And if you don't have faith, if you've not put your faith in Christ, I would say, put your faith in Christ right now. Call out to him in your heart and say, God, would you save me? And then this meal is for you. If not, we, don't, we would never want you to play a game and go through the motions here. We want you to do this in faith and say, if I don't have faith, then I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna, abstain from this. I'm going to pray and seek the Lord. So we're going to sing. While we sing, we just want you to reflect on everything we've talked about, on the goodness of God, the grace that is ours in Christ. And then I'm going to come back up and we're going to take the elements together. Let's stand together and let's pray. God, we give this time to you. We thank you for all that you're doing. Lord, would you be with us during this sacred act? Change us, lead us. We need you, God, for all of it. We can't do this ourselves. Waiting, hoping, trusting. Bring life where there is death. Bring fruitfulness where there's barrenness. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's sing.